You know, I just realized these last few episodes I've been recording, uh, all the January stuff basically, it's the first time I've recorded with my new desk. Well, I used to have it. I used to have my notepad just kind of right here. I had a really cheap old cardboard, like $10 cardboard table. That's what I used. What? I don't have a lot of money. Um, and now I have a desk. It was actually donated by my sister. And this is the whole desk she used to have. So I have a proper desk, and it's a lot more useful. You know, I've got a better setup for my mic. I've got a better setup for my webcam. It's more efficient for this. I, it's, it's a lot cleaner. You know, I've got more room to work with. But I need to come up with a permanent way to keep my notes somewhere. So you look at them when I'm talking to you guys. I have talked many times about... Well, actually, before we talk about that, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about how this episode was originally crap. This is this is the pinnacle. This and the next episode, in my opinion, are DS9, the the er examples of DS9. Not because they're the best episodes or the highest quality, but because they are what DS9 did best, in my opinion. Many people like to compare Babylon 5 and Deep Space 9, and for good and for bad reasons. But in my opinion, the biggest thing, really, that differentiates the two is that Babylon 5's story was written before they ever started even making the show. Deep Space Nine's wasn't even written while they were making the show. The two, I, I just talked about this, but the two are the perfect examples of front-loaded and back-loaded storytelling. This episode right here and the next one are the er examples of that mentality. So let's look at this here. First of all, we've got Tane, who was introduced earlier, Garak's past and connections with the Cardassians, Odo's connection and understanding of the Cardassians, uh, the Arias system, which was specifically brought up in Defiant, and I think that's actually it. But all of those points were never intended to be connected. They were never intended to be part of some overall narrative. This was not some carefully crafted narrative arc that they had you know, months or years in advance. These were completely different episodes that just happened to be written. And when they sat down to make this episode, well, it was kind of a crap episode. And everyone agreed. Everyone on the development team were like, this doesn't work. This is stupid. Like, it, it was basically the same general episode uh, up to a certain point, you know. Uh, Garak is, blows up his own shop to foil an assassination attempt on him. He gets Odo involved. There's some back and forth, which is great. And then they, you know, they find out, ah, Tane! And then they just couldn't figure out how to end it. And they're like, all right, hang on. And they went back to task, and they added those connecting points to this episode and made this part of a grander scheme made this part of a new development. And indeed, what happens next week in the next episode is literally a hallmark event in Star Trek, in real-life terms. And arguably in character as well, although we'll discuss that when we get there. Now, all of this means that this episode and the next one are even more impressive than they otherwise would be because these were not planned to be great, they simply were. And that's just DS9 in a nutshell, which is why I wanted to talk about that first, because the next thing I want to talk about is something I've been referencing many times, and I know most of you don't care, so I'm just going to say this very briefly. For those of you who don't remember, I quit DS9 way back in um, Move Along Home, right? I just said, nope, this is not interesting to me. Finished out TNG, watched Voyager, and my friend Rob was back... In, uh, was this college? I think this is about college years. This is late high school, early college, somewhere in that range. I forget when. I'd look it up, but I don't care right now. Either way, my friend Rob at the time, this had to have been college because this is season three. My so yeah, I was in college. My friend Rob was like, "Hey, dude, have you seen uh, have you seen the latest episode?" 
Now, it was actually the episode Visionary. Or no, I'm sorry, wrong. It was actually the episode Distant Voices, my bad. The one with uh, Bashir in the, in, in the internal thing. And he was talking about that episode, and I was like, no, dude, I... I gave up on Deep Space Nine. He's like, oh, dude, you gotta see it. And I'm like, dude, no, no. And he's like, dude, 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 dude. We didn't actually talk that way, but I'm, I'm making fun of myself. No, what actually happened is he convinced me to give Deep Space Nine another shot. He described distant voices to me and described what they'd been doing in the introduction of this group called the Jem'Hadar, a whole new race and a whole new organization called the Dominion. And I was like, okay. I mean, that sounds suspiciously like continuity. Which, even, even back then, hell, even as a kid, I loved continuity. So especially, you know, in college, I'm like, dude, yeah, dude, dude, dude. So I decided to go ahead and give the show a shot. The actual episode I came back to was actually last week's, the Mirror Universe episode. Through a Mirror Darkly, or Through the Looking Glass, excuse me. Wrong one, wrong one. Through the Looking Glass. And I wasn't impressed. So what actually ended up happening was I asked my mom, who I was watching these with, because I'd go over and visit, hey, do you want to watch next week's uh, Deep Space Nine episode? And her response was basically, eh. But I liked hanging out with my mom, and it was a nice break since I was going through some tough times at that point in my life because I was working full-time and going to college full-time. And let me just say really quick, anybody out there who either is thinking about doing that or is currently doing that, don't. To this day, I regret killing my body and my immune system and my, my ability to function as a human being for years. It was only two years for me. But still, those two years destroyed me. Don't do it. So I needed some time with my mom. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll show up. And so then I came back to DS9 last episode and wasn't impressed. But then this episode hit. And the next one. This is when I came back to D-Space 9. During this two-parter. And it hooked me just like that now i'll talk more about that next episode because next episode's really the one that caught me but it's almost funny i can't imagine a better episode to come back to except maybe way of the warrior (laughs) holy crap but we'll talk about that more when we get there so let's talk about the episode itself first of all i also want to give really quick just credit to michael pillar although michael pillar and i disagree on a lot of things and he has a lot of flaws the man has a great sense of narrative connecting points And he was pretty much the one who suggested and put forth the idea, let's just make this a two-parter. And everyone else was like, that's a good idea. And then the rest of the team started working together and coming up with where it needed to go. This Now, it's worth noting, from a creative perspective, this probably sounds like a duh move, because it kind of is. From a real-life financial, you know, business management perspective, this was insane. They had already done most of this episode and worked on most of this episode, and they had to reshoot scenes and rewrite scenes and completely do an entirely different uh, run of the post. And then they had another episode to do, which they already were scheduled, so they had to re- rejigger the schedule to push the uh, other episode, which was um, through the looking glass forward. I mentioned that last time in order to deal with this and to have, m- and they had to really rush that episode. You'll notice it's mostly a bottle show. Like, almost everything there is on existing sets or or basic sets, and all they do is a little bit of additional stuff with lighting and have very few guest stars. You notice that, right? That was a bottle show so they could shrink the production time and budget on that so they could pour it into these two episodes. And that is something I do like about Deep Space Nine. As much as I have my flaws and and critiques with it and and its creative choices, they were very good about saying, this isn't working out well, let's make it better rather than just completely abandoning it. Now, they would, of course, abandon things sometimes, but this is a great example of that. Shoring up a weakness to make two of my favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine was an awesome choice, and I'm glad they pulled it off. Bringing me to my next point. 
I love the idea of Garak bringing up the possibility of the social significance of food. Deep Space Nine has covered on this a couple of times before, and will in the future, too. But I love that because so, in my opinion, very little fiction really covers how important food is. I know that sounds like a stupid thing to say, but like the cultural significance, the social significance, the community significance, the, the background significance, the personal significance, the how, how much it means for your station or your position or your preferences. There's so much that can be done with food, especially from a world-building perspective, and most fiction just kind of ignores that and just has meals be a place where characters are talking rather than a meal being part of the development of the story. Deep Space Nine is usually better about that, and this is another example of that. I love the comparative uh, looks at fiction, too. The way that they compare and contrast uh, you know, earth, earthen fiction versus uh, Cardassian fiction is the most obvious one, and it has been brought up before and will be brought up again. Uh, probably the best example of this is actually The Boy That Cried Wolf. <laughs> you know, the lesson, the intended moral of The Boy That Cried Wolf being, you know, don't lie all the time or else you're going to be screwed. Garrick, of course, from his perspective, looking at that and saying, don't tell the same lie all the time. Which is funny, actually, because Garrick does have a very particular method to his events, but I'll, I'll bring that up later. I also like Bashir's reaction. So Garrick walks away, he starts talking with Kira about some irritating things he's got to put up with for some race that we'll, of course, not see. World-building, world-building, and then... Very first thing he does, Bashir to infirmary, medical emergency on the promenade, just bam! That's great. I know that it's, it sounds so weird to praise that. And in fact, I shouldn't have to praise that kind of thing in Star Trek or in fiction in general. But it's so rare that people respond to emergencies urgently, especially in Star Trek, that I wanted to give them praise for that one. So, fast forward a little bit here. Odo decides to question the... Not Talarian, I forget the actual race. And... um the way he does it is actually legitimately interesting and engaging to me. Because by that point in time, you could tell Odo's already put most of the pieces together. The idea that this was intended to be an assassination via chemical injection is something that Odo has effectively already deduced. And he then thus questions him directly to effectively prove it, and then goes ahead and decides to follow him to figure out who he's reporting to. Then the Romulans kill him. And admit it. And that's probably one of, it's, it's really fascinating. So I'm going to rewind a second here. So, Odo and Garak are uh, amazing. The, the two make a wonderful double act. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, because they have a whole scene, which is just the two characters bouncing off each other in a wonderful way. But when Garak convinces Odo to let him go with, and they go after the, the uh, you know, the enemy freighter, Tarellian? Tarkarian? God, I can't even remember. They go after the freighter, there's there's some good chemistry between the two. Garrick has basically pushed Odo into a corner on this one. But what I love most about it is that Odo basically just kind of accepts this. And we see a little bit of how both of them operate. I'll talk more about that in just a second. Then the Romulans destroy it and admit to it. Now that's most interesting to me because that throws both Odo and Garrick for a loop. Now that's important from a narrative perspective because both of these characters consistently have been portrayed up to this point in time as very observant and very deductive. Both of them have the ability to analyze and deduce very quickly and very precisely. They have done it pretty much the whole show up till now, and they do it in this very episode. So even if you're not familiar with Star Trek, you still get that impression. For them to be caught by surprise, for something to shock them, that has to be significant. But what's funny is it does it for different reasons. 
Odo, it shocks him because the Romulans are basically doing this above board when they don't have to. And that's not even standard for Romulan. It's not standard Romulan operating procedure. Garak also is shocked by this because he has no idea why they're trying to kill him. None of his theories or conspiracy connecting points have anything to do with the Romulans. Both of them are thrown a loop for this for basically different reasons. It's, it's a very precise and unique uh, bit of storytelling. Then, of course, Odo uh, pushes him. <laughs> Odo pushes him into, uh, into telling the truth. You dragged me into this. You blew up your own shop. Now, that's brilliantly framed from an out of character perspective. A good directing job, good editing job. But it's also interesting from an in character perspective because Odo slams him with it, and Garrick is legitimately surprised. And it takes several more seconds, though, for Garrick to finally fully drop the mask that he's been enduring, or maintaining all this time. Which brings me to my point. Odo and Garrick are both a perfect fit for each other, character-wise. Both of them have a lot more depth to them than they show, and go out of their way to deliberately hide it from others. The method by which they do so is almost completely the opposite. Odo is the Iron Wall. I'm going to refer to that a few more times in the future. The the, the Iron Curtain, you know? It's, it's just, plunk, there's nothing here. All he's going to say is go, humph, and that's about all you're going to get out of him. He's just, not, he's just going to stonewall you. He's not going to tell you what he thinks. He's not going to tell you what he feels. Garak is the talker. Rather than throwing up a wall to hide what's behind there, he'll throw up a bunch of fireworks to continue the analogy. Just, hey, and this, and oh, I don't imagine why this could be happening. It's the classic magician trick. Distraction. Trying to pull your attention over here so you don't actually know what I'm doing with my other hand. And both of them are sufficiently intelligent and analytical to have deduced this about the other. And yet both of them are also still wrong about each other because those hidden depths go further than either can posit. <sighs> One of my favorite moments in the episode is actually when, uh, when Garrick says, I don't know why the Romans want to kill me. And he says it very blandly and plainly. And Sisko says, I've had about enough of you. And then Oda says, no, he's telling the truth. What? If he was lying, he would try to spin some yarn or tail. And then Garrick kind of spins a yarn or tail trying to lie his way around that one. This is why I mentioned the idea of not using the same lie over and over, because that is actually Garrick's modus operandi. He does the same technique to basically everyone. It's hard to even blame him for it, because basically no one catches him in it. No one pays attention enough to, to notice that he is doing the same trick over and over. The only two people, arguably, who have ever caught him on this are Odo and Bashir. And Bashir, that's not even really there yet. Odo is obvious. He calls it out in this episode. So Odo slams him with the truth. And he just does it over and over and over and over and just smashes him in the face with this truth. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I actually skipped over a scene. My apologies. First he goes to contact his Cardassian uh, uh, contact. I love how his simple, blunt honesty is what gets Sisko's cooperation, by the way. He flat out says, I've got certain sources. And Sisko says, you don't want me to ask about it, do you? No, but I need a runabout. Okay. Again, the honesty being the kind of thing that Sisko would would, uh, would respect and go along with. And, of course, Sisko's obviously interested in getting this solved, too. I mean, there was a bomb that was set off on his station. Then he goes to contact that's, that in informant, and he gets some interesting information from him. 
And there's a lot of implication there. Now, this is, in my opinion, one of the only stumbling blocks here. I, I'm going to spoil something here. This never really comes up again. I mean, it kind of does. You know what I'm talking about if you've seen the show. But we never really learn the full story behind what's going on with this. And I feel that's a bit of a shame because I think there's some good storytelling potential there. Certainly better than Cork turning into a female. So it's, you know, it, it would have been nice to see some kind of fleshing out of that. But instead, I suppose I, I still find this engaging, interesting, attention-grabbing. It makes sense that Odo would have connections from the old days, because Odo has always understood quite well how the Cardassian system worked, how the Union functioned. It's one of the reasons he was so useful back in the legal episode when O'Brien was being taken in um, a tribunal. So that works. Then he just is like, here's all the dead people, and oh my god, and you dragged me into this, and you're going to be honest, you're going to be honest, you're going to be honest, and again, just smushes him against the wall till Garrick finally, 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 for the first time in the episode, and quite possibly the series, although that is, of course, debatable, drops the mask. Goes ahead and does his own little private method of scrambling a signal, and calls, you know, Nana, basically. It's like, where's Tane? She doesn't know. Oh. And she's like, you've got to help Tane. Okay. Okay. She'll be coming up later, too. I, I like that that continuity is carried forward. And so... Then there's this little bit, and it was basically left in as a joke, and I do like this moment. Uh, oh, I can never think of his name. The gentleman who plays Garrick. I'm going to look him up while I keep talking. The gentleman who plays Garrick does a great job, because Bashir comes up later and basically jokes about the intended original ending of the episode. Andrew Robinson. Thank you. Um, he jokes about the original intended ending, because it was originally going to be, Ha-ha, Tane, we have this evidence on you that Bashir's got. So they turn that into a joke, which works, and then Bashir offers him the, the nice chocolates. And Garrick says, thank you. And, and Bashir says, no, I think you need him more than me. And given what they talked about food, given the amount of friendship and connection the two have, it's funny because you don't need a big demonstrative thing to show that you care about someone. But what Andrew Robinson does is his expression changes a bit. It, you can actually see his lines soften, and then he inclines his head a little bit, and you could see... There's some really legit respect right there. Just, thank you. You can tell that Garrick is actually legitimately touched. That And it, it could be argued before now. But I think, at the very least at this point in time, Garrick officially sees Bashir as someone who is a legitimate friend. Someone who he actually does care about. And I would say with total certainty that Bashir legitimately cares about Garrick. And that's nice, and I like that. No shipping, though. Um, <laughs> so then they go off, and then they have this wonderful moment. It's, it's the best scene in the entire episode, in my opinion. It's just Odo and Cor uh, excuse me, Odo and Cor Odo and Garrick acting off of each other. And Andrew Robinson and Renee Bergenois have amazing chemistry, and the way their two characters work bounce off each other wonderfully. And they both counter-analyze each other. And I love the way they do it, because... Odo insists Garak has no uh, a, no higher ideal, no honor, no justice, something that is more than an individual level, some kind of grander scope or philosophical, ideological thing. He is merely at the ground level. Garak accuses Odo of the exact opposite, of not caring about any individual, having no personal connection to anyone, finding everyone around him to just be a puzzle to be unlocked. Now, I find both of these things fascinating because, in my opinion, both of these statements are 100% correct if this was about three years ago. 
Odo didn't used to care about people. And Garak didn't used to care about anything, based on what we learn in, in the future. But both of these statements now are wrong. Thus, we see in a very strange way, we actually see a character arc for two characters presented in a single scene as a uh, microcosm of the greater journey both have been on over the course of the show as a whole. Odo does legitimately care about individuals and does have personal connections to people, and Garrick does embody greater ideals beyond the individual. And we will see that next episode very powerfully in both directions. So then they get captured by the, the Derdeks. They get taken aboard, and Tane's there, and Tane's like, hi. I want to once again give a so, so much praise, and I've, I've got his name right here, Paul Dooley, I hope I'm saying that right, for an, uh, for an Auburn Tane, because the man manages to portray someone who is quiet and professional and polite and absolutely terrifying. He did it last time, too, last time he showed up. The way he presents himself is just so professional, so amiably cold. It's it's a wonderful performance. I love it. I eat it up. I also love... I, I, I wish I could just show you the scene, because the scene, pretty much from the moment Tane shows up till the end of the episode, is just gold. I, I, here, here, watch the episode. I wish I could do that, but I can't, obviously, despite what certain YouTube commenters seem to think every week. I love the idea of Tane counter-analyzing Garak's manipulative methods while Odo is analyzing and stating his point point of the three make a nice dynamic basically Garrick is still playing games Tane is above the games but also acknowledging and noticing them but Tane is actually brutally bluntly overt and honest the entire meeting which is probably something that shakes the hell out of Garrick and probably why he's so scared over there oh you can tell he's terrified Garrick is just until the end, and then the shock hits, and then that terror kind of switches into delight. And, of course, Odo is coldly analyzing his way through the situation the entire time. My favorite point was his analysis of, you see how he subtly um, insults the Romulans? Thus, I either have to show what my allegiance is, or I have to ignore the comment, and thus a little bit of a divide has been put between us. No matter which way I react to his comment, he still gets something out of it. It kind of shows kind of the precision of how Garrick interacts with other people. And one of the reasons I love Garrick so much as a character. Now, this is also when all masks go away. Tane is, of course, completely honest. Garrick starts to do the mask thing. It's, it's instinct. He's been a spy for so long. He starts to do it. It eventually just drops. And he's just bluntly honest. And Odo's just bluntly honest. And all three of them just abandon all pretense. I never betrayed you is what Garak says. And there's a lot of power and a lot of passion behind that. And, you know, I came, why do you think I came here? Why do you think I want all this? I thought the Romulans took you. And then Tane looks at him, and he looks amused, like, huh, I believe you, Garak. Because he does. You're free to go. And then, what? Just like that? Yeah, you're free to go. This is a trap. No, it's not a trap. It's a choice. You can leave. Or you can join me. And then Odo's just like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? This man just tried to kill you. Just killed several of your colleagues. This man, this man exiled you. Are you kidding? But the problem is, for all of the truth of what Odo says, Tane smashes Garrick in the face 
with the most powerful truth he possibly can. And the way the actor says it is perfect. You want to go back to your shop and hem pants? Or shall we pick up where we left off? <laughs> and then Garak's response, I'm back. This is a great episode. If it's not obvious, I'm, I'm just gushing about it. It was also nice um, for the fans at the time. Obviously not me. Again, I just came back the previous episode. But from what, I, from what I understand, and Rob gave me this perspective too, the idea here was that they had teased so much about Garak that a lot of people were upset that there was no payoff. And so this is basically the, okay, here's the cards. This is what I've got. You know, call. And actually showcasing the real truth behind a lot of Garrick and his past and all that fun stuff. And we'll see more truth in the future. They've still got a few cards hidden. But I do like how they present this. Either way, wonderful episode. Next week we will cover a truly hallmark episode in Star Trek history. I'll see you next time, guys.